The waitlist for migrants to get into the U.S. from Tijuana has reached a record high. This is a result of the Trump administration's policy of metering, limiting the number of asylum seekers who can cross at a port each day. In January, a little over 40 were let in daily, and by June it was only 20, and July is looking even lower than that. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is Border Dispatch, a special episode of your San Diego News Fix. Kate Morrissey, you're the immigration reporter for the Union-Tribune. And yesterday, the line of people seeking asylum in the United States reached a record high. How many people are waiting there? There are 9,150, approximately, asylum seekers waiting in Tijuana to ask the U.S. for protection. And can you give us the brief overview of how asylum is supposed to work? The way asylum is supposed to work generally is that when someone arrives on U.S. soil and says, I'm afraid to go home, we process that person and and analyze whether their claim of fear falls into a pretty strict legal definition of what um, kinds of narratives asylum can protect. Mm-hmm. So they are um, fleeing persecution because of their race, religion, uh, political beliefs, membership in a particular social group, nationality, those kinds of things. Um, and they are fleeing their country because their government is is the entity persecuting them or it's some entity that the government cannot or will not control. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, if people return, they believe they will be killed, right? Right. So persecution is like, we're going to kill you, torture mm-hmm. you, harm you in in some pretty severe way. Mm-hmm. And right now, the system isn't working as it's supposed to, as essentially people are not being allowed to step onto the U.S. soil. Why don't you explain how the waitlist is functioning in Tijuana? Right. So... The waitlist is something that we've been watching evolve since, I would say, at least December 2017. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, in order to make an asylum claim, you have to physically set foot onto U.S. soil. And so there's been this policy that sort of blocks people who are trying to make asylum claims from reaching U.S. soil until the moment at which the U.S. has decided, all right, we'll process you today. Mm -hmm. And so we started to have this line of asylum seekers physically sitting outside the port of entry in El Chaparral Plaza in Tijuana, um, waiting for their turn to be called by Customs and Border Protection up to the gate that separates sort of the Chaparral side of the port of entry from Ped West, Mm-hmm. which is also the ac- on the actual borderline at that particular part of the port of entry. And so until they cross through that gate, they're not on U.S. soil. And they can't claim asylum until they actually step foot. Exactly. And so they had been told by the officials standing at the gate, like, no, we can't take you today. And they were being turned around, turned around, turned around. They made this line in the plaza. Um, Tijuana decided that it was not safe or hygienic or any number of of adjectives insert there to have this group of asylum seekers sitting in the plaza. It was December. It was cold. Mm -hmm. There were children. um, 
And so the police began dispersing them from the plaza. And so then asylum seekers would go every day and walk up to CBP and said, are you taking anyone today? And then they would go hang out, you know, a couple of plazas away and just sort of wait until they could go back to wherever they were staying for the day and then repeat the process again the next day until they arrived on a day in a moment where CBP said, yes, we'll take you. Come inside. Mm -hmm. So now essentially they're waiting for their number to be called. But that's changing as well, right? Yes, in maybe about a week before the first like big caravan mm-hmm. uh, arrived, we saw a notebook for the first time, and that notebook was being passed from from sort of migrant operator to migrant operator to to keep track of the order of people, so that that you because people were worried that when the caravan arrived, those folks would somehow be preferenced instead of the people who were already there waiting. Uh huh. And that notebook has evolved from this sort of very informal thing that was largely being, the decisions were being made, I think, more by the migrants themselves back Mm -hmm. then. Um, And that shift has has really gone towards the Mexican officials actually controlling much of what happens to the people on the list. Uh, I did a story about that, an in-depth about that a few months back. Um, And so... What we're seeing now is this sort of very rigid system where asylum seekers don't really have access to see the list. They don't really have access to information about what's happening. Um, The Mexican officials come out every morning and say, here's how many people the U.S. said it will take. And Mm -hmm. they'll call some names. People come forward or they don't show up for their name. And then another name is called. Um, There's a van that leaves from the parking lot next to that little plaza and actually drives to the other side of the port of entry where the folks are processed. Asylum seekers are getting increasingly frustrated because those numbers have been especially low in the last month or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a protest yesterday. I want you to describe what that was like. Yesterday was the first time I had been down there that early in the morning in in a little while. I earlier this year, I was going down multiple times a week and I I had a little break from being in Tijuana at seven o'clock in the morning. And so um, to me, one of the the striking things was how much the the demographics of who was standing there waiting had changed. How have the demographics changed? Previously, when I would walk around the plaza and ask people, you know, where are you from? Most of them would be from Mexico. You would see some from uh, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala. Mm-hmm. Um, you would see some from Haiti. You would see a small group um, from usually Cameroon or Eritrea, but small groups. And now the majority of the people who I spoke with were from Cameroon or Eritrea, particularly Cameroon. Mm -hmm. And so yesterday, the Mexican officials came out and said, we're not taking anyone again today. And five days in a row last week, they didn't take anyone. And the day before, they had taken about nine people. Um, Just to give you an idea of the difference, in, in earlier months this year, the average was more than 40 people per day. So to go from that to nine or nothing is is a pretty big drop. Um, and so the Cameroonians and Eritreans were, were very upset about this. They um, also feel that they are uh, discriminated against because they don't speak Spanish, uh-huh. uh, because they're black. 
um, in Mexico. They have a lot of issues with police there. They've said they've been, you know, harassed by police. They made allegations of all kinds of things. They said people with money are able to buy places in line and go in earlier. And, and they were really, really frustrated because most of them now, because of how long the line has gotten, have been waiting for months. There were people who told me they've been there for more than three months. They don't have the money to sustain themselves in Mexico for that long. So they're living on the streets. One woman told me she's been living under a bridge for a month already. So that's part of why they protested, right? They are frustrated and they don't know what to do. So they stood in the uh, entranceway to this parking lot where the vans leave from when, uh-huh. they're, when they're taking people to the port of entry. And they refused to move. And one of the Mexican immigration vans showed up to try to get in and they refused to move. And then they brought another van on the other side of the parking lot trying to come out and both vans tried to inch forward and everybody refused to move. And it was very um, calm. Like no one was no one was trying to fight anybody or anything like that. There yeah, was, no violence at all. There was none of that. It was just, we're not going anywhere. You're going to hear us. And so eventually uh, one of the the Mexican immigration officials took a group of about eight of them back into the port of entry and had a sort of negotiation meeting with them. Um, And they determined that they would be adding um, some representatives from from the Cameroonian and Eritrean asylum-seeking community to um, watch over the list, to be part of the the volunteer migrants who do the list management, Mm -hmm. um, to ensure that the people who are going in are the next people on the list and the people whose names were called that day. and they said that uh, Mexican officials would also talk to the U.S. about trying to take more people. But I don't know how successful that part's going to be. We're still sort of waiting to see if, if anything comes to fruition. It doesn't sound like very many went in today uh-huh. from the messages I received this morning, just a handful. And is how credible is the fear that the U.S. may just stop letting anyone cross ever? The thing is, you don't have to go to a port of entry to make an asylum claim. Uh-huh. You can also climb the fence and sit down and say, here I am. I'm on U.S. soil. I need asylum. But at least in San Diego, it's very difficult to do that. There are a couple of places where people do it. And again, if you're not trying to escape Border Patrol, you just want to get to Border Patrol um, there are definitely places where that's possible. If, you're, if your only goal is to get your foot onto U.S. soil, there are places where you can do that. And we have since this, well, this metering policy is what we call it, this policy of, of sort of blocking how many have access to the asylum system through the ports on a, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have seen an upswing in people choosing to cross illegally. Um, you, you see that particularly in a particularly notable way if you look at uh, what families choose to do. A couple of years ago, um, the majority of families coming to the San Diego border came to the port of entry. Now they cross illegally. Um, and families are usually a pretty good indicator for asylum seekers. We don't have data released by the government that's specific to asylum seekers. So that's the closest approximation. And uh, when viewing the line and the nearly 10,000 people who are waiting in it, is there a sense that it may break and these groups may choose to, like you said, cross illegally? I think we've we've seen that happen some already, um, particularly when the caravan that came in November 
when their numbers started to be called. Um, because when they added to the list, the list sort of ballooned to well over 5,000. And that mm-hmm. was at the time sort of like, whoa, this is a really big number for this list. And the wait's going to be really several months long. And so a lot of people who had come with the caravan didn't wait for their number. They went ahead and, and crossed illegally. And so when their name and number got called, they weren't there. Um, and so that that caused a lot of problems with the line because then the line all of a sudden moved very quickly because a lot of people weren't there. And so then people who were there, their numbers were called before they thought they would be and then they weren't ready to go in. It was it was kind of a mess. So what's the uh, official reasoning why CBP can't take more asylum seekers? So what we hear from the officials at the San Ysidro Port of Entry is that they have a capacity of about 300 that they can hold in the holding cells, which are mostly in the the basement of of the port. We've been on a couple of tours there. Um, However, that 300 is sort of a, a rough number because the more specific capacity depends on the the demographics of who's being held. Uh-huh. So if you have a single adult man and then you have a man with his child and then you have a woman with her child, none of those three sort of groups or, or individuals can be held together because you can't hold a single man with somebody else's child and you can't hold a father and child with a mother and child. Uh-huh. So they they have to do all of these sort of separating into different holding cells. Um, if somebody has chicken pox or something like that that needs to be quarantined, that further reduces the amount of capacity, you know. So on a on a given day, the the amount of actual space that they can that they can fill is a little bit in flux. And then the other part of the issue is that most of the people waiting in those holding cells are waiting to be transferred to immigration and customs enforcement custody. Uh Elsewhere, right? Yes. So um, that agency is responsible for long-term detention of people in the immigration court process. We've seen a lot of reports that their detention capacity has been well over what it's been budgeted Uh by Congress. So, you know, if you look at these... Um, adult detention centers that are um, very full and you've got people waiting to be transferred into them. It it takes a little while um, for that to happen. Critics would say, I think, part of the reason that those detention centers are so full is because a lot of the policies of this administration have gotten rid of the mechanisms that would release people from those detention centers while they're waiting. Uh So there's a lot more people being held for a lot longer for their cases instead of being let out know, in the let US out and... uh-huh you know people who were were picked up in the community who have homes here even are are being held there for a lot longer and also in Tijuana how are they dealing with these thousands of migrants that are just essentially waiting homeless in the city that's a really good question and you can further complicate that question by asking what's happening to the thousands of asylum seekers who have been returned through the Remain in Mexico program to Tijuana. So on the one hand, you have more than 9,000 people on a wait list who are somewhere in the city. Uh And on the other hand, you have another 
I think more than 6,000 was the last number I heard, people who are waiting in Tijuana to come back to the U.S. for their court cases. So that's, you know, easily 15,000 plus people. And the shelters don't hold nearly that many people. And the shelters are also responsible for people from Mexico who were recently deported to Mexico, right? So that's why there's there's just not a lot of places for these folks to go if they find a friend or a family member or someone who knows someone who knows someone in the city they're the lucky ones um it sounds like a lot of them are sleeping under bridges and and not in places that you would want to spend a lot of time and i imagine tensions are likely growing between the people that that live in tijuana and all of these people who are kind of stuck in this immigration machine. We've heard some of that sentiment on and off, but we've, I think, equally heard about people in Tijuana really stepping up to help. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've, standing at the asylum line in the morning, I've met random people from Tijuana who decided to open their home to someone, and I've asked them, you know, did you know this person? Oh, no, I I just felt compelled to help them, and they've been staying with me until their number's called. So... You know, I think in these in these moments, you see both sides of that come out. All right. Kate Morrissey, thank you so much. Thank you. In other border news, Baja California's immigration chief resigned on Monday as the country deals with the migrant crisis. Rodolfo Figueroa resigned as Mexico changed its national strategy, which changed following the tariff spat with President Donald Trump. In response to the threat, Mexico has deployed troops to its southern border and also ramped up deportations. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. Try some of our other podcasts, too. Our ideas and opinion team hosts The Conversation, which features interviews with newsmakers and experts about San Diego news and issues. Our sports department hosts Hot Lava about all things Padres. To see all of our audio offerings, go to uniontrib.com slash podcasts. Until next time.